Okay. I'm ready. 535. 535, and we're beginning the meeting. Okay, I will do roll call. Mm -hmm. Loretta Mallon? Present. Richard Harvey Jr.? Present. Lucia Angel will not join us tonight. B. Franks Walker? Here. Mark Smith? Here. Derek Turner? They hear Derek. He probably mute. I think I saw him. Yeah, I saw him. I see him. Am I back? He probably doesn't have the volume on. Right. Derek? Yes. Okay. Okay, there you are. Um, Ali Yessing? We have a quorum. Thank you. Well, good. Um, welcome to all those that have been gone for a while. We've missed you, and I'm glad you're all back and doing well. Um, I don't really have anything in particular for a report tonight, other than something that I heard that was kind of um, encouraging. You know, the uh, pharmaceutical companies, I guess, the um, they've settled on the opioid uh uh, money that they're going to be giving back to the different states and we're supposed to get a lot of money that can be used for a lot of different things um, for rehab and, and safe centers and different things so I was kind of excited to hear that and, and anxious to see where that goes so just keep your ears open for that okay and then D um, we're going to approve the minutes from our November 15th Co-applicant board meeting and adopt the resolution authorizing remote teleconferencing meetings pursuant to AB 361 and approval of the 2023 CAB meeting calendar and approval of amending the director evaluation timeline so that it aligns with AHS's annual evaluation of director. Can I get a motion to approve those? Second. Thank you. Oh, wait, do, do we have a first motion? Sorry. Yeah, that came from Derek. Yeah, Derek did. Okay, okay thank you. Okay. Thanks. Okay, perfect. Oh, can we do roll call on that, please? Yes. Um, Loretta Mallon? Present. Yes, right. Uh, I'm sorry. Can you please state yes or no? <laughs> yes. Richard Harvey Jr.? Yay. B. Franks Walker? Yes. Mark Smith? Yes. Derek Turner? Yes. The motion passed. Okay, good. On to item C. Um, we have our medical director report. Dr. Francis? Right on time. Yeah, excellent. I'm not sure I can adjust the camera, so I'm going to do the, it's a, it's kind of an artistic camera. You have the plant on one side and then me on the I other. I see side. the plant, yeah. <laughs> nice background. <laughs> That's my Monstera, Dr. Francis. You're right. <laughs> Gorgeous. I'm looking the wrong way. Like... Then we got the sticky notes to the background. <laughs> awesome. Um, I just have a couple items today before we get to the rest of the agenda. So um, I wanted to let everyone know that um, if you haven't heard yet, Alameda County 
has moved to medium transmission levels um, as of oh, yeah. ago. And so what that means for um, people experiencing homelessness in our community is that um, the shelters um, and you know other other housing locations and service locations for people experiencing homelessness now have moved back to mandatory masking for all residents and staff. Um, and um, you know we're monitoring the situation really closely as a community. Um, we will have a lot less uh, isolation and quarantine capacity this year than we had in past years. Many mm -hmm. of the shelters have um, developed their own. Um, ability to actually do isolation and quarantine on site at the facilities. Um, so that's part of the reason, um, as well as the fact that, um, you know, a lot of the population has been vaccinated. Um, and so we're, we're not looking at, you know, the same kinds of rates and the same kinds of morbidity and mortality that we saw mm -hmm. you know, among the community in the past two winters. Um, we will still have some isolation and quarantine capacity as a community. And we can update you guys on that um, as, as the, um, the details become, you know, more um, more fleshed out. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to say was that um, I don't know if we announced this already, but um, it's worth announcing a couple of times. On December 21st, nationally, the National Healthcare for the Homeless uh, Council um, coordinates that all the, the the local healthcare for the homeless programs around the country actually have a national day of mourning for people we've lost in the past year. Um, while they've been living on the streets. Um, and um, so we'll have an event um, at that day. It's a virtual event, 12 to 1. Um, and Wanda Johnson, our nurse practitioner, practitioner, will be among the speakers sharing our remembrance at that, um, at that ceremony for our community. Um, so we'll make sure that we send out an email with all the um, information about how to log into that. Um, as well, there was a, a recent memorial service, and I'm sure Wendy will be mentioned at this one, but uh, for Wendy Jackson, who I think we mentioned um, she, in, the, in the meeting last month, she was the, um, the head of East Oakland Community Project, which is uh, our largest shelter in East Oakland and a, a tremendous partner for Alameda Health System and had a lot of other leadership roles in our community over the years. She had a memorial service just uh, about a week ago, and so I'm sure there'll be some more recognition for, for Wendy and her amazing life um, at the event on the 21st. So if you weren't able to join the memorial, please do uh, join us at that event if you're able. And that's all I have. Happy to take any questions. How's the flu, the flu going, Derek? The flu? Uh, I mean, David, sorry. Yeah, we're having we're having a um, you know a bigger flu season statewide than we've had um, in in the past couple of years. Um, I don't know numbers specifically among people experiencing homelessness, um, and I don't know that anyone is has uh, been able to collect that data even at the state level. So mm -hmm. I'll have to get back to you on on uh, specifics around that. Certainly, there's you know there's no overwhelm in our hospital or anything at this at this point in time. Um, okay. And, uh, you know, we're seeing a lot of cases, but there's nothing that's, that's making us do anything different operationally that I could, that I could see. Okay, great. Um, I don't know, Kayla, if you know this, will, if we stay at the medium level for COVID, um, is that going to change us meeting in person next year that we talked about? Will we um, continue with Zoom then or? Is that something you're going to consider? Um, yeah, I can look into it and I'll circle back. Um, okay. Ron, great question. Yeah. All right, great.
Okay, thank you. That's all you have, Dr. Francis? Yep, that's it. Thanks. Okay. All right. Uh, item D. Um, we have Dr. Ng, and uh, she. we have an action item and a discussion item, approval of the dental patient estimate process. Um, Dr. Ng, you want to say something? Yes, I do. I've um, prepared a little description. Um, so, um, in accordance with the CMS mandates and the No Surprises Act, our dental department would like to roll out a process in which patients can get cost estimates for non-covered dental and oral surgery services. So, this benefit, um, this will benefit patients also with no insurance. So it's um, non-covered services for patients with insurances and also patients with no insurance. So everything to them is, is out of pocket. So this new process is grounded on um, clinical, de clinical decisions for medical necessity, mm -hmm. which will drive the level of discounts that a patient can qualify for. Um, we'll, we do currently utilize the existing ambulatory sliding fee scale um, for all the procedures that are deemed medically um, necessary. Um, for purely elective procedures that are not medically necessary, uh, patients will default to our ambulatory discount policy. And I do have a draft of the patient estimate form that I can also share with you. Um, um. Dr. Ng, that wasn't included in the packet, so we're not okay. able to show. No worries. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. So, um, basically, it's a process where, you know, we would like for the patients to have as accurate of an estimate for their treatment um, before rendering care. So, they don't have a surprise bill in the mail. And we are in line with all of the um, policies that are already in place including the sliding fee scales because we are an FQHC um, and also the uh, discount policy that ambulatory offers for our um, cash pay patients. Right. Okay, excellent. So uh, we need uh, to approve this estimate process. Um, can I get uh, someone to motion for the approval of this? Can I ask a question first? Uh, oh, yes. Um, Dr. Ng, could you share a little bit more about like what prompted the, the need to, to have this? Obviously, this co-applicant board has already approved uh, you know, the sliding fee scale. It's been through all of the Alameda Health System processes. So what's the reason that, that you all need an additional, um, and a, a, you know, this additional kind of process to be defined? Yes, uh, this this process um, we will be, you know, we will be offering services that are um, not mentioned in the scope of service for the um, FQHC. Again, these are non-covered benefits, so these are the procedures that patients would normally be paying out of pocket for. So this is why we wanted to bring it to the cab as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, just to give an example, like dental implants, um, that is something that insurance usually just, they do, do not cover that. 
um, and we have an oral surgery residency program and also a general practice residency program where it's actually an educational component for their graduation from the residency to have that experience. So I think it would be a win-win situation for the patients to get this benefit, um, but also for our residents to learn how to place and restore implants, which is typically not covered. Right. I think what also, um, just having been uh, with the dental team while they've been figuring this out, um, Dr. Ng mentioned the new law, right, the one that says that there are no surprises in your bill, um, and Alameda Health System is moving towards being able to do that, not just at dental, but at other places, but I find that dental has always been um, at the forefront of helping us understand the cost of services, a service that is very driven by um, self-pay typically, not everybody's insured, and so they've, uh, as practitioners, have always been very aware of their prices and how much it costs and providing that kind of an estimate to patients. Um, I think what is especially interesting about this, though, is this idea of medical necessity that depending on your income level, the practitioners can determine that it's medically necessary for the patient to have this. It will restore function for the patient and, and help them, and they would be able to determine, yes, this service is medically necessary, and so therefore, they're going to be, especially the, our, our extremely low-income patient, they're going to be able to um, leverage the sliding fee discount scale, which is at a one, two, three, and four dollars per visit. Oh, okay. which is a significant discount for the patient, and especially for patients experiencing homelessness, to be able okay. to have them able to provide this service at a significantly reduced cost is super helpful. They've put a lot of thought into this into this process, and I think they're going to they're they're going to be the first of our organization to really make it clear to the patient what the cost will be and to give them an estimate. How did you, um, do our homeless uh, patients um, have health pack at all, or are they all on Medi-Cal? There'll be a combination of health pack and Medi-Cal, and sometimes they have private insurance as well. Um, I think, uh, although we haven't reported it recently, we have in the past the breakdown of payers for patients experiencing homelessness, and they are primarily covered either by health pack Medi-Cal, or Medi-Cal. Um, and private yeah. insurance. And then there's a small portion that's also uh, uninsured. Right. But it's, it's a pretty small percentage compared to the rest. Yeah. There are any other questions that I can answer prior to um, the approval? Yes, I actually had one. Um, I, I noticed in the text. Um, that it speaks about um, AHS um, is being also regulated by other governing uh, bodies that include uh, the, uh, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Service, or CMS. And I'm just wondering, um, people who are normally of senior age um, who do uh, get Medicare and Medicaid, typically uh, dental is not typically offered, is it? Because uh, most, in most Medicare, Medicaid plans, uh, you, you, you would have the plan and then you would have to adopt 
um, say, um, I, I believe is um, part C, in order to get um, actual dental or vision. And I'm, um, I could be wrong about that, but if I'm correct about that, uh, how, how is it determined, is it determined by uh, dental services uh, whether or not uh, those people do have full Medicaid and Medicare coverage that includes uh, Part C, which would be part of uh, retrieving dental costs? That's a great question, Mark. Um, we do have a standard workaround eligibility process. So, you know, when uh, patients are registered as a patient in ambulatory, across our system really, um, our front office staff always will check for eligibility, which includes checking their insurance. Um, so that would include, you know, Medicaid and Medicare, and you're absolutely correct in saying that they don't typically cover dental. I know because my, my father is, is kind of in that boat. You know, they, he's like, well, I don't have any dental coverage. You know, only my daughter's a dentist. Um, and, <laughs> right. So, you know, and is is uh, senior citizen age now. So it's, it's you know, it's, it is a challenge. But, you know, our hope is that this patient estimate process will also, you know, help those that have the Medicaid and the Medicare that do not have the that Part C dental coverage. So this process would actually help those patients get an accurate estimate for their care. Yeah, uh, my mom was there myself, so that's, so that's yeah. why the question to ask. Um, Mark, I know from personal experience because I'm all, I'm already there. Um, Medi-Cal does have Dentical, and I've used Dentical when I was on Medi-Cal before. And they did cover quite a bit of my work. So, but with the Part C, you have, those are, um, how do you say it? Those are specific dentists that agree, like Delta, for example, Delta Dental, which would um, agree to be Part C of the, of the Medicare plan if they chose to. But you, you don't have the freedom really to go to any dentist you want. You have to stay within the plan. Right. So. And I know Alameda uh, Alameda Alliance. I know for medical because I know I researched this myself. There's only one Advantage plan that um, will cover the doctors at um, Highlands and Alameda Health Center. Only one Advantage plan. None of the others. So. Okay. Yeah, I was just wondering uh, how it would affect uh, um, uh, part of the homeless population who are uh, in their senior years and who do qualify or are getting uh, Medicaid and uh, Medicare. Yeah. yeah. Any other questions? I think okay. before there's a, a vote on this, I, there's just one other thing I wanted to um, say, which is it's not this, it's not really clear to me at least, and I can't remember the decision honestly that we made with Kayla about whether this is absolute necessity that this come in front of the co-applicant board, you know, since from a governing perspective, this isn't really changing the sliding fee discount policy, but I think it's really great that our dental colleagues really see the value in having this kind of a conversation about what the impact is on patients of a financial decision that we're making, um, and especially on people experiencing homelessness. And I think it's really an excellent precedent for the rest of our system 
the rest of our specialties to think this carefully in conjunction with consumers, you know, with a, with a governing consumer body about how we think about these trade-offs between payment and, you know, and the services that our patients are receiving. So I just really want to thank Dr. Ng for her willingness to kind of workshop this and bring mm-hmm. it to this body and, and make sure that we're having this kind of detailed conversation about the why behind it and, and trying to do this in, in the right way. Yeah, I agree. Any other comments or questions before we um, take a vote? Okay, then can I get a motion to approve the dental patient estimate process? I get some motion motion that. Make a motion that we approve the dental patient estimate process. Thank you, B. Someone second? I second it. Thank you, Mark. Hey, Brenda? I will call your name for the vote. Please state yes or no. Loretta Mellon? Yes. Richard Harvey Jr.? Richard? You know, I know that he was driving, so um, I'll yeah. see what's happening. He'll pr- he probably just lost connection for a minute. Yeah. Um, we can come back for him then. Uh, B. Franks Walker? Yes. Mark Smith? Yes. Derek Turner? Derek? He probably mute. A little like he's mute. He is muted. Derek, unmute yourself. Derek? Oh, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. So, um. Yes. Okay. Um, should I say the motion pass or should we wait until uh, Witcher come back online then? Uh, we, we can just document him as abstaining right now, but technically we only have seven cab members and so four, we still have a quorum. So the motion passes. Okay. okay. The motion passed then. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I have confirmation that he is returning. He just lost uh, <laughs> connection and he will be connecting in just a moment. Okay, great. Okay. Um, item E, Jana. Okay. Yep, the election. So last month, the board nominated its 2023 chair and vice chair and um, uncontested chair Loretta for the 2023 term and um, vice chair Richard. Um, so last uh, meeting, I said that you would have an opportunity if you'd like at this to say a few words about why you wanted to be nominated um, for a second term. Um, if you want, you can say something, but if not, feel free to pass too. Um, then I would just open it up to comments and any questions that other cab members may have, and we'll take a vote. And so I'll start with the chair nomination, Loretta. Do you, do you want to say anything? Yeah. Um, well, I really, my heart is really in this, and um, that's why I wanted to continue. Unless somebody else thought they were, you know, more qualified, of course. And um, I really. I have some visions too that when 
when we um, get around to doing our strategic planning again, um, I think we can even do more than what we're doing right now. And it kind of excites me, you know, just little ideas that pop into my mind. And um, I know that we're making a difference in the community, and that's a great thing. And I like being involved in that. Thank you. Oh, perfect. Okay. You're back just in time, Richard. I was, we are voting, doing the election piece of the agenda, and I just gave Laura an opportunity. She um, said a few words about why she wanted to be the 2023 chair. If you would like, um, you also have an opportunity to say why you're looking forward to a, a second term as vice chair. Um, but if you don't want to, you can absolutely pass it well. I don't mind. I'll still say a few words. Um, just basically, I want to be able to be more involved and get a little bit more opportunity to speak at some of the engagements and participate in some of the engagements that Loretta has and be more supportive for her as her vice chair, pretty much. Um, I think I've done a, a, a really okay job with that as of now, but I want to be more involved. So I think this would be the best opportunity for me to continue on with the second term. Thank you. Um, now, are there any comments or questions from other cab members before we go to the two votes? Well, I, I'd like to make a comment. Um, it, it actually, um, it actually doesn't involve the two officers uh, per se. But I, but um, I wanted to, I wanted to voice that um, I'm interested in also um, becoming more involved and um, looking for other opportunities to also participate um, whenever possible. So uh, I'll leave that in the capable hands of uh, um, of the powers that be. But but yeah, I like to get more involved and and um, be more hands-on um, just as a member. Any other comments or questions? Okay, hearing none, so first I'll ask for a motion for the chair. Is there a motion to elect Loretta as chair for the 2023 term? Make a motion that we elect Loretta for the president for the 20, 2023 year as chairperson. There I second that motion. Thank you, Mark. Brenda, would you mind doing a vote for that? Yes, I will call your name for the vote. Please state yes or no. Uh, do I call Loretta Mallon? Okay, so Loretta Mallon? Richard Harvey Jr. Yes. B. Franks Walker. Yes. Mark Smith. Yes. Derek Turner. Derek, unmute. <laughs> 
he's a mute. Derek, unmute yourself if you can hear. Yes. Okay. The motion passed. Congratulations, Florida. You are the 2020 chair. Okay. And then um, the second we'll do the uh, vote for vice chair. Um, could I please have a motion to elect Richard for vice chair for 2023 term? It's my motion to elect Richard for the 2023 um, year board. I second that I second that emotion to elect Richard for the 2023 um, board position. Thank you. Um, Brenda, would you mind doing a vote on that as well, please? I will call your name for the vote. Please state yes or no. Loretta Mellon? Yes. Richard Harvey Jr.? Yes. B. Franks Walker? Yes. Mark Smith? Yes. Derek Turner? Yes. The motion passed. Congratulations, Richard. Congratulations, you guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then Kayla, are you doing the second part also? Um, yes. Sorry. Okay. Okay, so we also have an application for a new member, if you wouldn't mind scrolling down. Um, so well, I guess, Heather, do you mind speaking to, I, I think that you reviewed the application. Yes, yeah, so this is, um, this is for Tammy Russell. She had been on earlier, but I think she was having trouble connecting to the audio. So I've been reaching out to her via phone to see if she's able to join us today. I met Tammy actually at an event. Um, recently that was um, honoring people experiencing homelessness and we got to chatting and so with her um, passion towards the community and uh, what seemed to be in alignment with with ours as well and so I invited her to submit an application um, and so you see here um, uh, if you can go to the next page please Um, you have some of her answers here um, that she has shared with you as part of her application. Um, if you see the top part, explain why you wish to serve on the board commission. And she has written, I was homeless and lived in my van for a year, and I would like to help others that are experiencing housing insecurities in all capacities that I can. And then it talks um, a bit about her experience working on other boards and commissions and community organizations, including the Hayward Promise Neighborhood Community Advisory Board, African Supporting Africans, African American Student Achievement Initiative, and um, Fixing Crowns. And uh, talks a little bit also about her volunteer experience, serving dinners and breakfast to individuals and families that are um, vehicle residents, a community advocate, an educational advocate, and making and delivering gifts to individuals that were um, in convalescent homes and facilities and writing handwritten letters to senior citizens and students in the public school system. So I think that, you know, as many of you have passion for uh, the Homeless Health Center, I believe that Tammy represents that as well and so would serve us well 
um, and have a good perspective on the needs of our community and our specific uh, focus of people experiencing homelessness. Thanks, Heather. Um, are there any questions or comments from the board? She's, she's not here to answer any, unfortunately. Um, but I think if you have any questions about um, the recruitment process, we could probably do those here if you'd like. Otherwise, I'll just ask for a motion to nominate Tammy to the board for uh, beginning January. I make a motion that we nominate Tammy to the board. I second. Can we have a vote, please, Brenda? I will call your name for the vote. Please state yes or no. Loretta Mellon? Yes. Richard Harvey Jr.? Yay. B. Franks Walker? Yes. Mark Smith? <laughs> yes. Derek Turner? Yes. The motion passed. Great. Uh, thank you, Tana. Yep, we look forward to having Tammy in January. Yep. Okay. Um, item F. Um, Lily McRae is going to speak about a research program that she'd like us to be involved in, possibly. It's all Yuri. Hi, everyone. Hi. Um, I also want to introduce Tessa Napolis, who is here with me to talk about this project today. Um, I was here in this space, I think it's been about a year, a year and a half. Uh, my name is Lily McRae. I'm a nurse by training. I oversee um, the programs, care, complex care, care transitions, and I spoke about those programs with you all um, at a previous meeting. And um, today I'm here to talk a little bit about a collaboration that we've been involved with. Um, let me organize my desktop. That we're calling the um, UCSF AHS Community Health Collaboration Project. Um, and essentially this has been a partnership with um, Tessa and other researchers at UCSF, staff here at AHS, um, and some students um, looking at uh, the, Tessa will talk a little bit more about uh, looking at the experience of people experiencing homelessness. Um, we are thinking about taking some next steps um, and doing a, a project involving photo voice, which we'll talk about in a moment. Um, and we wanted to share about this project with you all, uh, recruit people to get involved um, at the ground level, get some feedback from you, and, and really just inform stakeholders. So thank you so much for having me back today. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Tessa Nopoulos. I'm a social science researcher um, and graduate student in sociology at UCSF. And I've been collaborating with Lily in the complex care management program since 2014 and in different roles and different iterations. And thank you so much for, for having both of us um, join you all today. Um, I wanted to share a little bit more about um, CHCP. Um, as I said, 
started the current partnership began in 2014 um, with two different UCSF AHS research projects. Um, both the HEALS and the SOCHNET studies looked at how um, the healthcare safety net setting like AHS um, really addresses the medical and social needs um, of people enrolled in intensive care management programs like complex care management. Um, or CCM, and the goal of our partnership is really to gather mixed methods data to improve patient, provider, and staff experiences at AHS. And right now, our collaboration includes a few different um, concurrent and also future projects that we wanted to share with you. So the first is the home study, um, and that's a qualitative study looking at how housing assistance is provided in the healthcare safety net. Um, and for this project, I've been conducting mainly interviews and some observations with patients, but mostly healthcare providers and staff, um, housing navigators, case managers, and other um, housing specialists who work both at AHS, but also um, at other healthcare and housing organizations in Alameda County um, to really learn more about the important role that healthcare institutions um, are playing in housing work. So that's everything from, you know, educating healthcare providers about eviction protections, for example, to matching patients to transitional or permanent housing. Um, and then the second project is the Chow Expansion Project, and that's led by Lily and another team member, Regina Simpkins. And that's a project about the history and work of community health workers at AHS and includes interviews, focus groups, um, and a survey with CHOWS. Um, and then the third project is the one that we wanted to share a little bit more about with all of you today, and that's really in its very early stages. It's the Photo Voice Project. Um, right now, we're really focused on assembling um, a project team that will co-create and co-design the project together um, starting early next year, and that includes the research questions and aims. Um, but we do have kind of a general idea of maybe where we want um, the project to go. But again, like I said, um, once we assemble the team, um, there'll be more time to create and design the project early next year. But one thing that we've been talking about is potentially a photo voice project that would invite both patients as well as community health workers or CHOWs um, to take photos of their lives in some, or work lives in, the, in some capacity um, around the experiences of navigating the healthcare safety net setting like AHS um, and also around providing care um, and navigation for patients experiencing homelessness or housing insecurity and navigating the healthcare safety net. Um, and that said, you know, we're intentionally kind of slowing down the process of creating um, this photo voice project just so that we can bring together a team of people. And we'll talk a little bit about our team in a moment. Um, but the fourth project that I wanted to mention on the slide is the development of a sustainable community toolkit that's really going to support uh, continued research and evaluation of AHS programs and operations in the future. And I'll just add one piece. Thank you, Tessa. 
you know, our, our overarching goal is to really build our competence and experience engaging community and patients in how we provide care to patients. And so this is one way to do that. Um, so this, this uh, project, there's two levels. One is inviting people to get involved in the design of the project. And then the second level is involving people in the actual um, collection and, and data, um, which we'll talk about in a second uh, with, with the photo voice technique. Mm -hmm. May I ask a question? Yes, thank you. Um, who um, are you actually doing the focus groups with? Uh, is it with patients or is it with um, workers? The, fo the focus groups for number two that we um, did were, were with supervisors of community health workers. Uh -huh. and the thing that we were interested in with those focus groups was um, strategies and techniques for supervising CHOWs, um, also um, how to support CHOWs, integrating them into the care team, um, uh -huh. and um, you know, what's working well, what could be working better, and so how we can figure out as a system how to support supervisors. We also did interviews with community health workers and other, other folks um, on the care team. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for the question. I have a question. Yeah. I have a quick question. Um, it, have you given any uh, CSW surveys um, recently, and if so, uh, what, what exactly um, what exactly information are you seeking uh, through those surveys in interviewing um, uh, CHWs? Yeah, so the survey was administered a couple of months ago, um, or about a month ago, and we looked at um, demographics of CHOWs, um, background and education, why people came to that role, um, and then there were a set of questions around how people felt about the work, um, where they felt like their work was really strong and effective, making an impact, uh, you know, where, where the challenges lived. Um, then there were some questions about how it felt to work um, in, in coordination with the care team, with you know, doctors and other providers or nurses and other disciplines in the system. And then we'll be presenting the, the, um, the results of the, survey and the focus groups and the interviews at, um, in January, and we'll be presenting it back to the community health worker community, and then also the steering committee um, focused on building this, uh, this workforce. I'm happy to actually come back to this space and share it with you all if you're interested. I think we would be. Great. Yeah, I definitely would be interested. The, the photo voice project is um, there's a picture where you're taking pictures of situations or um, anything that would affect a homeless person, correct? Yeah, we're going to talk a little yeah. bit specifically, and I'll even, I even have some examples of the okay. past project. I think I, yeah, okay. Yeah. Let's go to the next slide, please. Great. So we received um, a small grant from the CSF Center for Community Engagement to support some of the projects that I outlined on, on the last slide. 
um, including funding for CCM's Emergency Housing Fund, which includes things like housing deposits um, and funding for welcome home baskets, which include things like basic home furnishings and, and grocery items. And the grant also included some funding for three amazing interns that we've been working with this past year and will continue working with us into next year, um, as well as time to, to train them in, in all of this um, you know, collaborative work that we're doing in research ethics and qualitative methods, how to um, conduct interviews, um, and then the grant also included this amazing opportunity to work with some different experts at UCSF um, on different topic areas that have been really important to our collaboration. So, you know, what is community-based participatory research? You know, what does that look like? What does it look like to, to roll out a CBPR project? Um, what does it look like to use participatory visual methods like photo voice? Um, how do we tra translate all of this data that we're collecting um, into AHS program and practice change? Um, and how do we disseminate our work to different stakeholders and groups and, and share what we're learning? Um, so we're learning about all of this in these conferences, <coughs> the UCSF Center for Community Engagement. And we can go to the next slide. So um, what is photo voice? So here's a really basic um, definition. And as, as mentioned, we're, we're learning more um, through this process. But photo voice is a grassroots tool that enables a community to identify, represent, and enhance their surroundings through images and words. Um, so it's using photography and storytelling to gather evidence about a particular issue or set of issues and work towards program and policy change. So that's a lot of words to say. Essentially, it's gathering a group of people, discussing with, with this group um, what we want to learn more about, what do we want to impact, um, providing a method for, for taking photographs, and then also creating a narrative or a story to match those photographs um, to, to provide a way to, to, um, to learn about their experience in a different way. And I have some, um, some examples. Um, I knew about Photo Voice because it was done here at HS um, through the Healthy Hearts Clinic, which is a, oh. a clinic that used to be at AHS um, focused on people with heart failure. Um, so Dr. Minnie Swift did this project um, in coordination with, with, with um, some, some patients. Excellent. Let's see some examples. So this is an example. Um, this is a photo that a patient took. Um, and the quote is, that night someone broke into a car. You always have to be aware, even when you think you're in a safe area. When you walk outside, you may be sick, but you don't want to appear sick because you become vulnerable. <laughs> Next slide. This picture here is where I bank. When I was awarded permanent disability, this is the first bank that I went to make my direct deposit. Before then, I had no checking accounts. I had no bank accounts. So it was kind of like putting me back on the map. 
being an athlete, you never expect to need a walker, especially at the age I'm at, 46. I've been an athlete all my life. I don't smoke, never done drugs, not an abusive drinker. You know, I ask myself how I can ever come to this, a walker of all things. <clears throat> I have certain foods I'm not supposed to eat anymore. You guys took the liquor store, the grocery store, down to the old little old mini market and closed it off to me because I can't eat this food. Okay. You can see, I don't know about you, but for me, the pictures and the words create something that's different than if I was just reading a story or seeing data on a page. Um, for me, it really, I'm understanding something that I wouldn't be able to if I hadn't been exposed to those images. Before we go over the project team, I'm just curious if anyone has um, any reactions to the, to, the, to the images and words. I like the images. I really do. What did I you did. like? Uh, I like it because it it shows the real feeling, particularly the guy that's with the walker. That has to be such a difficult transition for him, and it it just relates that information to the public, or to me, I should say. I like the one with the woman um, speaking that um, the market is no longer a place where she can buy healthy food. It's turned into a place that has well, basically junk food. And um, that, is, that is so common in um, the impoverished areas where the homeless live and where the lower income people live so common you know having access to healthy food is not an easy thing all of the pictures are revealed and I think some of them hit us differently mm -hmm. but I think there's emotion involved in all of them mm -hmm. and um, in all pictures that were um, that we that we were viewing here you did point out the one that appeared to have street markings or markings of, of the street. Uh, and you mentioned that that was uh, uh, taken by an interviewee. And I'm just wondering, are all these pictures, all they are all, all done by, um, by patients, is that correct? That's right, yeah. What this brings up for me when I look at these, and I've seen these a lot, but just even just looking at them right now, um, again, is so many providers are sitting in clinic and don't aren't exposed to a patient's life outside of clinic. And so seeing these images can, you know, deepen our understanding of people's lives outside of the four walls that we're providing care. Yeah, absolutely. And, and have an impact of changing how we provide care because of that. Agree. I was going to say the same thing. This is kind of a uh, look through the window of how someone is living. Um, 
It's really impactful because these images are from the patient's point of view. That's what makes it powerful. All of our representatives are currently assisting other customers. Please hold. Let me go to the next slide. Or does anyone, did you, Loretta, did you want to say something else? Um, just that I think it's, it, it's a very powerful way to, um, to teach health workers that have not been out there in the community per se, um, to, to actually see through the eyes of their patients. And I think that's so important. Um, it also takes some of the fear away, the fear of the unknown. I know, you know, even a lot of the nurse aides um, may not know how to address a homeless person. They don't know what happens when that person comes in smelling horrible or, you know, carrying three bags of basically nothing, you know. And so that can be shocking for someone that has not experienced it. And so I think through the photos, you do a lot of teaching that way. I think it's great. I think also um, it um, goes a long way uh, to some degree, or can go a long way to some degree, in basically humanizing um, the patients. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, I agree. I do too. I'm really happy to hear your thoughts and engagement um, on this. Um, and we are hoping for more of that. Um, and that could look, you know, in lots of different ways. But, um, you know, first step is me just kind of sharing this with you. Um, what you're looking at right here is the current project team. And again, we're really in early stages. I'm just, just thinking about this. Um, so we have a community health worker. As Tessa mentioned, we have some interns. Um, we have um, a, some, a system practice manager who supervises the health advocates, DeAndre. Um, me, Tessa, um, another community health worker, and Dr. Swift, who um, I think you all know. Next slide. I, oh, well, yeah. I was just going to ask, I noticed that you have nine team members. It, it, do you expect that number to grow? We do. We do expect that number to grow. And one of the, one of the questions today is, could it perhaps grow to include one of you? Let's go to the next slide. And this is our proposed timeline for the project. So once we've assembled a project team, we'll all work together, as I was talking about earlier, to co-design and co-create the project um, with the goal of launching the project sometime next summer. And then after some reflection and analysis with the project team, as well as with um, the participants, we hope to have some sort of public photo voice exhibit, um, as well as a shareable community toolkit by the end of next year. Next slide, please. So our ask today is, um, to hear your feedback. So you've been sharing that and I appreciate it. And, and what other questions you have or thoughts or ideas. Um, also to 
ask if anyone would, would like to join our team. Um, and then um, if you'd like to consult, you know, if you don't want to join the team in a regular way, there can be opportunities to consult at different points throughout the process. Mm -hmm. uh, let me ask you another question. Uh, given the fact that um, you're, you're asking for a consultation on the design of the project and possibly someone to join the research team, I, I, I would imagine um, you're talking about for, for early next year. Um, I mean, we're not going to be starting anything immediately if anyone was to join the research team or if we were currently going to consult at this point in time. Um, I would I would imagine you would want us to do do so uh, in the start of the new year. That's right. Okay, I just want to clarify that. Thank you for clarifying. What other questions do people have? Do you plan on having a, um, you say you're only going to work with 10 patients, is that correct, or 10 people? These are the decisions that I think we'll make together. I think we want to make sure that we're keeping it small at first, but uh, mm -hmm. again, this is so early on, I think this is something for us to build together. Will you involve them in a focus group? Yeah, so the process will involve some group, some kind of group processes to talk, discuss the question that we're asking um, and, and um, kind of elicit those, that narrative and, and, and words. Yeah, great. Uh, anybody from our group that would actually want to uh, actually join the research team, um, would there be, uh, would you um, have, do you have something specific in mind that you would want them to do or, uh, or you would uh, simply uh, interview that whoever that person is and then determine uh, where they fit? I think involvement could really look like whatever you or someone would have the time for and have interest in. Um, we want to make this sort of uh, like an easy and accessible project to be a part of. So if someone had the capacity to join the, the team um, and meet with us regularly and design the project together, we would want to invite that. Um, but if someone didn't have the time to, to invest but wanted to keep informed um, at different points throughout the year, we would create a, a process for that. And I will say, no, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I probably didn't phrase that question correctly because I, I should have maybe said more like, the, more of the questions I should have asked was more like, uh, what would, if, if uh, one of our group was to uh, join the research team, um, uh, what would be, uh, what, what, what kind of time commitment would be expected? It's hard for me to answer because we're so early on. So we don't, we haven't even established a cadence for our, our regular meetings. So um, I think it could be um, as little as once, one time throughout the year, or if they would join the, the project team, it could be something like a monthly meeting to, um, to help drive this work forward. Okay. And, and I will say one other thing, which is we are also hoping to create a budget for this project um, and there, you know, potentially could be some stipends available for participation as well. But again, we're just in the early stages. 
So um, when you have the um, the patients take a picture, do you provide them with like a disposable camera or something? Because I know a lot of them wouldn't have a camera. But how or have you thought that far? Or... Yeah, we when we t when we spoke with some folks who've done this before, they used through two methods. One is people were invited to use their cell phones if they had them. Um, oh, okay. And we could also provide cameras as well. So I think whatever people feel comfortable with. Yeah. Okay. So in terms of how to, um, any other questions or feedback right now? One more. Um, in terms of consulting on the design of the project, um, if someone did, if if um, if none of our members necessarily want to join the research team but want to consult, um, um, what lines of communication would be open to us in order to do so? I could imagine this could range from us coming back to the space and presenting updates to your whole um, board. Um, and I could also imagine inviting you or someone to um, specific meetings where there was decisions that we needed to make um, to, to get feedback. Again, I think we would be flexible with that. Um, and then maybe there's some sort of like email update um, mm -hmm. method we could use as well. Nice. Or emails, possible emails. Say that again? Would emails be possible? Emails would definitely be possible. Oh, and I'll put my email in the in the chat. Yeah, should we um, email you with our interest or is that the best way to do it? That would be great. Thank you. Actually, Lord, do you mind um, just a quick question, Lily, is this participation because of their role on the cab so you're requesting their participation because they're a cab member or is it just as community members because if it's the the first i think that i, mean, I would recommend to the board that they put that on the next meeting's agenda and elect okay. one person to participate as a representative of the board in the project um is it sorry i'm trying to understand what the ask is participation i honestly don't know if i understand the nuance of your question I think that um, we would be open to either, and maybe we could discuss that right now. I think it's more relevant toward the end of the project. Um, you know, I think particularly like claims to translate research findings into action in a pretty bureaucratic and uh, public-private partnership, right, where there's governmental decision-making and, and regulations and things like that, I think are going to be are going to become important at the end of this project. You know, I think if we want to actually have, if the research question is relevant to decisions about how we're going to implement CalAIM, for example, with regard to CHWs yeah. at Alameda Health System, um, it may be valuable to engage this co-applicant board as a governing body, um, whereas it's certainly valuable to engage this board as individual members of the community. Um, but it's not necessarily clear that you're approaching us at this time for mm -hmm. the first consideration. Um, but I, but I do think 
I do think that that's something that probably, you know, depending upon the research questions that the project design team mm -hmm. decides to ask, um, this group may be a really important body to, to come to try to make some consequential decisions on the basis of the findings that really change how we do things. Yeah. Thank you for articulating that. So mm -hmm. I think... Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt. I, I was going to say um, um, to um, uh, to our um, legal counsel. I'm just um, let me ask: um, is, is there something that is there something really that forbids anybody, um, um, any individuals or more than one individual, actually participating? And um, is that somehow a conflict? You, you, any member of the board could participate in their individual capacity as a community member. The difference comes in if that individual is participating on behalf of the CAB, like speaking for the CAB in that case, you can ask the board to essentially like, okay, that person's speaking on their behalf because without that backing from the full board, so a motion and a vote, that one individual legally cannot speak on behalf of the board, which causes some Brown Act issues down the line. But in the individual capacity, that is it's okay. But it's making that distinction, um, which I think if anyone is interested in an individual capacity to participate, I'd say maybe they contact Lily offline of this meeting because when mm -hmm. we're doing it here, it's kind of, you know, blurring that line. Um, right. it sound, I, I agree with Dr. Francis, though. It sounds like there may be an opportunity down the line to for the CAP if it would like to elect a member um, for other opportunities if, if that's, you know, in the future, if that um, if decisions are being made. Um, does that answer your question, Mark? I think so, although it's still kind of cloudy, but I, I think so. I think I think we'll have to I think I'll have to sleep on it and and, and hear more before mm -hmm. having some um, some uh, some more idea or more context of where I where I as an individual or me as a board member fit <laughs> if that makes any sense right. yeah, I, yeah. I, so it's still cloud it's still kind of cloudy for me in that regard. Mm -hmm. I'm with you, Mark. I feel a little cloudy, too. I have one clarifying question. So it sounds like, and maybe this will help at least for me, it sounds like, because we're really early on, we haven't even identified our question. And so there would be an opportunity for someone to, to participate as a represent, representative of the community, not the CAB. Mm -hmm. and Say we get clearer about our question and we're getting deeper into the project and it looks like we really want to approach the co-applicant board as a governing body, could we, could we move into that space and what would the impact be on that person who was participating first as a community member? Can we kind of transition into yeah. that? I think both are, are possible. It's just making sure that that one individual is very clear that their participation is as a community member and not as a county. Right. And so, like, say, example, there's a, it's a qualitative, you're collecting qualitative data, and there's a quote. It's like Mark Smith as a community member, not Mark Smith cab member. Um, it's making that distinction between their role in the cab and their participation. I know that this is not the clearest, and maybe this is a little premature to be having this discussion. Um, oh, wait, Dr. Francis, did you this question on what I'm saying? More the merrier. Uh, 
absolutely. Yeah, it feels like it is premature to me. Like I think that. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's an important. I think it's really important to identify that you know later on it's it's, a, it's an important consideration. But it it feels to me like you guys are saying to us now, share this with your friend. Not you're not just looking even for this body. Like you know, let other people know you saw these cool pictures. We're going to do this project. You know, if you have an interest in this, uh, get in touch with Lily or Tessa and like find out more about the project and see how you can contribute. That. That feels to me more like what's happening now versus please, you know, have a formal representative on this project so that when we come back to you, you're bought in to the recommendations that we're going to make to somebody going forward, which I think, you know, we may want to do later. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, I'm, 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 I'm willing to let it rest until we till we figure mm -hmm. out what the really is. Yeah. Great. Well, um, thank you so much for allowing us to present tonight and spend this time with you and asking your questions and just your questions tonight have got i think my wheels turning so um i think the potential for for you all to have an impact is is huge um so you've got our email feel free to to shoot me any questions and like like dr francis said if you have friends or you're interested in just learning more i can make time and, and we can talk um is did you say your email you were going to place it in the chat or is it on after these notes i put it in the chat okay i'm gonna put it in the chat can everyone see it let's see yes i see it thanks everyone Heather and I know how to find them too. If you forget or can't copy it down okay. or whatever, yeah, um, it's gonna be my next question. Yeah. <laughs> I'm easy to find. So um, and and email, text, phone. I like old-fashioned phone calls. <laughs> okay, what's that? <laughs> I'm technically challenged, so I'll I'll, I'll reach out to somebody to, uh, to to get your email or. Uh, uh, or phone number, whichever is uh, most convenient. Great. Yeah. Mark. And thanks, everybody. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Um, do we have any public? Oh, no, I'm sorry. Letter G. Heather. Loretta, you wanted to skip me tonight? I know. I do not ever want to skip you. I promise. That's all right. It's okay. I don't mind. You know, we'll be quick about this. We just want to keep you up to date on what's happening in the Homeless Health Center um, and related to compliance and program requirements. Um, we did receive a reminder from Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program related to our budget approval process. So we approve a budget every year. And as you recall, Alameda Health System is going through a transition on how they are organizing some of their financial reports. Um, and this will help us to have what's called entity financials. Um, that relates specifically to the FQHC, which is most of ambulatory and which the Homeless Health Center um, is a part of. And so just an update to that, we project that we will have them reporting on 
Janu in January, finance will report in January and explain that process and what that looks like and so that we should have a budget um, ready for approval likely in February. Um, this will be for calendar year, so we approve a budget on a calendar year basis. And, and usually what we're doing is approving that budget around July when we submit something called the BPR, or the budget period renewal. And, and you're in July approving a budget for calendar year of the following year. So in this past July, we would have approved a budget for 2023, but we didn't because we were going through this process. Um, and so it's been delayed. And, uh, but they're wrapping up the process and finalizing their bits and pieces so that we can create um, the budget. So we'll be a little bit late. The calendar year will start and we won't have passed the budget yet, but we project to be able to do that um, for January. Um, also, we have a monitoring meeting that's scheduled for December of 2022. So that's happening next week. Um, generally, we've done really well in um, our clinical monitoring sessions with Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program, so I don't project that there's going to be any challenges related to that. All right, hopefully my pause was long enough in case you wanted to um, make any comments about the first part of our update. Um, and now we're looking at our general reporting, which we look at um, each month, and this shows our patients by department. So again, we, re we break down the Highland primary care versus Highland specialty, Highland urgent care. We break out also the Highland dental oral surgery, um, the substance disorder clinic, which is Bridge, Eastmont, the homeless van, Hayward, and Newark. And then you can see also there um, the total number of patients, we do this per year, that are identified as being on our registry. So this is 12 months of what it looks like for the Homeless Health Center. And if we go to the next slide, what we'll see is the month-to-month -month volume of those patients in those places that we reported um, in the chart above. So this is how you see them rolling along throughout the year. And then if we go to the next slide, we're breaking it up more by specialty. That's how many patients are seen in primary care. Um, actually, it's not patients, it's visits. How many, how many visits are happening in primary care? How many visits are happening, happening in specialty care? And we're combining the Highland, Hayward, Newark, um, into Eastmont into one for primary care and the specialties we push together too so you can see what kinds of services people are getting across our system. And then um, it, we'll, just, we'll just sit here for a moment. And then when we look at the next slide, we're gonna see it over time again. So this is one year's worth of visits. And now here's our one year over time, those visits. And I've mentioned before the, the um, kind of neon green line, you see that it made a bit of a dip. And that's because in urgent care, we also had all of our vaccination visits were in there. Mm -hmm. And so that number was extraordinarily high because it represented those vaccination visits. And so it dipped down. And now you see it going back up again um, with the uh, bivalent booster. We've, we've seen a little, uh, a little bit of an increase um, back there for the bivalent booster. Um, we like to also highlight the mobile units um, and 
trying to maintain as much stability as possible so you can see that teal line towards the bottom and how it's going over time as well. Um, and again, we have um, now the three services that are happening uh, with the mobile service, which is with Dr. Wanda Johnson, who's providing medical care. We've got Dr. Joshwin Hall, who's providing dental care. And then we have Kirsten Flagger, nurse practitioner, who's going out and doing um, medically assisted treatment in the field once a week uh, with one of our partners, HEPAC, at a site um, in East Oakland. And that started oh. earlier this month or late last month. So um, That's new, right, Heather? That's you're right. That is new, and it's very exciting. And we'll hear more about that. This is really we've had about a month worth of doing it, and, and she'll come and visit mm. you all at a CAB meeting and report out and talk about what's happening there for her. Okay. That's cool. It is cool. I agree. Cool. And then if we go to our next slide, we just have our, our standard like, hey, what's happening for us here at the Homeless Health Center, all of the dynamic stuff. So much of this, you know, you've read it before and it's pretty consistent. Um, so uh, we tend to, I tend to say, let's go down to the last couple of slides, or last couple of sentences. So um, recently in ambulatory care, it was determined, um, I think you guys know that when Richard went to become practice manager um, at Hayward, he left behind the Highland Dental Orthopedic Podiatry and Marina Wellness Center management and I've been helping to fill in there. And we set a 90-day timeline on that. Um, Alameda Health System has determined that it is a really good idea to hire two practice managers. Um, Richard had been filling that as a single person, but right. each of those services really needs their own practice manager. So um, the dental practice manager position and the orthopodiatry practice manager, position, manager positions have been submitted for approval to our work. It's called the work committee, but we're expecting that that will be approved. And then you'll see those positions posted on our Alameda Health System website. And so with that being posted, I did extend my stay okay. for coverage here at Dental for another 90 days. And we have a contractor who's going to be coming to support, starting in January, the orthopedic um, podiatry marina wellness responsibilities. So I'm going to stop most of the ortho podiatry marina stuff. I, I'll help the contractor as needed, but I think they'll they'll be in pretty good hands with our contractor. And then I'll I'll stay with dental for another 90 days, or or until the practice manager is selected and hired. Whichever happens first, I'd be delighted to hand the responsibilities to any new person. Um, so that's the new part in there. I think the rest is a repeat of previous reported stuff. Heather, where is the Marina Wellness um, Clinic? Is that in Alameda? That is correct. That's in Alameda, and it's a specialty service site. It's not part of the FQHC and not part of the Homeless Health Center. Um, it's, it is part of the ambulatory care, but it is, it is separate and outside of the scope for the Homeless Health Center. Um, it provides primarily its orthopedics, but it also has some other specialties. The cardiologist is there sometimes. Oh. And 
some others, generally they're surgical specialists, so patients that are needing a surgery of, uh, of some sort or another um, may go there instead of Highland. Oh, okay. Frequently the same providers who you would otherwise see at Highland would also mm -hmm. potentially be at Marina Wellness Center. Okay. Are some, um, are some uh, patients uh, that, that need that kind of service, um, is it, does it ever happen that they actually wind up at Highland and then they're transported uh, to Alameda at some later time? Sure, yep, that can happen. Sometimes the surgeries, depending on which um, operating rooms are available, a patient may be having their surgery at San Leandro or Alameda or at Highland. And then their follow-up care or even their pre-operative pre care may happen at um, Highland or at the Marina Wellness Center generally. So remember the Marina Wellness Center and Highland clinics where you visit before and after your surgery, but then the hospitals are generally where you're getting your surgery. So at Highland Hospital, at um, Alameda Hospital or at San Leandro Hospital in those operating rooms. And again, those operating rooms are also outside of the homeless health center. They're not part of the ambulatory or the, um, or the, or the SQHC.